Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of FNI Rap Chat, uh, brought to you by the Headstuff Podcast Network, as well as our wonderful sponsors, Wildcard Distribution. Um, yeah, this week, um, get out and see um, their latest uh, release that they're distributing uh, called Extraordinary. It's a, it's a, a, yeah, it's funny. It's a, it's a funny Irish film with lots of really interesting set pieces and <laughs> yeah, a cast that's really likable. And yeah, for any SNL fans out there, Saturday Night Live, Will Forte is in it, and he has some. He, yeah, he steals most of the scenes he's in. Um, it's yeah, it's a lot of really good people uh, that we know. Uh, you know, have worked on this. One or two guests that were on the podcast previously. Uh, Damien from Dead Cat Bounce uh, contributed to the script. Uh, and if you're familiar with uh, Team Daddy and some of their advertising work, you will know that uh, they are brilliant visual filmmakers. Um, it's worth paying the admission fee for the last 15 minutes alone. So, yeah, get out and see that. It's out nationwide. Um, uh, extraordinary. Um, it's extraordinary. Uh, so go and see it. Uh, so, yes, what else have we going on? FNI-related news. What have we got? Um, we have a couple of events and classes coming up. Uh, one of which is with um, Colin McKeown, uh, a pal of the show. Um, if you go back to the early episodes, you can hear a nice 40 minutes of uh, Colin uh, yammering on about how good uh, the industry is and how optimistic he is about the future and uh, and about his own career and how he got stuck on an oil, line, oil liner uh, with uh, Tim Robbins uh, and... Uh, Benicia del Toro. Some great stories, uh, a BAFTA winner, and he's running a class with us, a series of classes which start next Sunday. No, sorry, is it this Sunday? No, Sunday week, the 29th, for uh, uh, so there'll be five sessions there over a number of weeks um, where he will guide people from a blank page to a, f- uh, a, a fully uh, formed uh, draft and, uh, and, and help you with a package for funding. So what we'll do with that is we have those five uh, five sessions. Um, you'll have a package at the end potentially to uh, tinker with to send in for funding. And then on top of that, um, we'll have a networking evening for the uh, participants of that class to meet potentially writers and directors and actors to help them make the best fist of an overall submission that they can that, that they possibly can. Uh, so we have that. And then um, in October, we have a really spooky... Uh, weekend uh, workshop with Stephen Cleary. Now, Stephen Cleary, uh, if you don't know about him, which you probably don't, because I didn't know a great deal about him beforehand until I met him and spoke to him. Um, He's a wonderful guy. He's a former head of British Screen, uh, and he's coming over to do a workshop entitled, and I thought about this, I come up with a name with this so you can can thank me in person. It's Alive! Uh, It's Alive is a two-day workshop. (laughs) which focuses on the art of uh, uh, horror and uh, thriller genre writing, which is on the up. I mean, if you know anything about Irish film over the last kind of year, year and a half, you'll know that there's been an... there's been, a, I was going to say a resurgence, but there hasn't been a great deal of... a great deal many of uh, Irish horrors over the years. Um, but some of the more uh, successful exports over the last uh, kind of year have been kind of horror genre-based. So with that in mind, we we don't feel as if anybody else is doing any any uh, uh, genre specific writing workshops. 
So uh, Stephen is coming over. He was a former head of British Screen. He works in the Danish uh, film school regularly, works in Australia, in Melbourne, at the uh, uh, Melbourne University, teaches at the National Film School in the UK, um, you know, and he has produced credits as long as your arm. Um, so he really knows what he's talking about. In addition, we will be having another workshop around the same time with him in terms of gender in film. He's going to do a sit-down with us and, uh, and a workshop on that. So keep your eyes peeled for both of those. Vastly experienced, um, like uh, an international pedigree in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of his material and experience. So yeah, keep an eye out both of those. They're available on Eventbrite. Uh, we'll also have another couple of actor-related uh, uh, workshops coming up. So keep your eyes peeled on the socials, the medias, for all of that. Uh, in addition, if you'd like to support Film Network Ireland, um, you can head on over to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. It's a bit like Patreon, only um, you buy us a coffee and it takes the money, out, the asking for money element out of scenarios. So yeah, if you want to buy us a coffee, two sugars and a drop of milk, and uh, we'll get the next one when we see you in person. Uh, thanks to everybody for the support of FNI over the last number of years. It's grown and grown and grown and you are all deadly. Uh, yeah, so without any further ado, today we have Rebecca O'Flanagan. Now, any of you who don't know who Rebecca is, she is a uh, one of the top brass at Treasure Entertainment, a producer who's worked, um, yeah, one of the famous holy trinity of O'Flanagans working in Irish film, um, who has worked uh, basically on a lot of successful Irish films and, and TV shows over the last, over the last uh, 10, 15 years. Uh, she's one of the head creatives behind uh, the Stag, Handsome Devil, uh, Papi Chulo by John Butler, all of the all of the above. Who was on a previous episodes, so tune in for that and have a listen to uh, that interesting chat we had with him. Um, Rebecca, uh, she's also produced Your Bad Self, that sketch show from a while ago, and and the most recent Head Cases and numerous others, uh, just to name but a few. Um, and yeah. Um, you know the O'Flanagans in general <laughs> to talk to to to, cup, to couple them uh, as a filmmaking entity are just uh, some of the most supportive and encouraging and nice uh, film people you can imagine. Um, from you know starting in Denmark, uh, moving to Denmark when they were very young, and getting their influences from Scandinavian cinema and so on. It's really uh, uh, really really impressive that the three of them have forged such such impressive careers. Um, but notably Rebecca uh, in terms of shaking things up in film and TV, especially for women um, over the last couple of years and some of the some of the more interesting projects that she has uh, upcoming as well, she, she touches upon as well. Um, and also mentions that she's very interested in reading uh, material from female, uh, female-driven projects. So yeah, uh, yeah, thanks a million, are all deadly. Thanks for having me. So you are the third member of the O'Flanagan film. The Holy Trinity. <laughs> the Holy Trinity. As I was saying to you outside, you only have three more sisters to go. There's six of us oh. all together. So uh, you've got half of us at this stage. But it, it's just, it's, you're that three 
that are in the film. And it TV is, it is. Yeah, yeah, the others have more sensible jobs. <laughs> uh, where do you come in? The I'm last, the, I'm number six. The baby. Okay. Yeah, I'm the baby of the family, but there's six of us in seven years, so there's not a oh, huge wow. amount of space between all yeah. of us. Mm. And were you, uh, did you have your film identity formed in Denmark or was it Denmark? Denmark, Denmark yeah. 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 Um, I, well. I was there last weekend with Mary, Rachel, Sarah and my mum. We were back really? for a school reunion. Yeah, so we, we oh. I just came I just came back on Sunday. Yeah, we moved there when I was eight and I was there till 13 and certainly, um, you know, it was a huge part of our cultural life there waiting for the films two years later, you know, to arrive there. I can remember yeah. things like... We just... Bring it, yeah, turn it. Further yeah, away? No, no, a bit closer. A bit, bit closer, yeah. yeah. Um, I can remember, you know, being able to go and see Witness, even though there was boobs in the movie at 10, because the Danes <laughs> didn't mind so much about boobs. Yeah, yeah. And so that felt very grown up. But yeah. I think, I kind of think my film identity was um, formed even earlier than that. It was very much, I think, through my dad, who, you know... Um, you know, everything from, you know, all of the John Ford movies. I remember the first time being allowed to stay up after my bedtime was because The Searchers was on and it oh, went completely over my head, but it formed a big impression just, yeah. and, and it's a film I go back to all the time. I think it's, you know, it, it, it's an amazingly crafted film. Um, and so films were certainly something that were, you, you know, provided a, a real focal point in all of our lives. I think probably, as my sister Mary would have said before, you know, my dad kind of, both John Wayne and Fred Astaire were his two kind of idols and he didn't see any difference in the, in the <laughs> forms of masculinity. It kind of yeah. um, covered the full spectrum. So, yeah, um, it was... it was And, and storytelling, really. It was films, yeah. but it was... It was books and poetry and all of that we had uh that was all and storytelling um with six sisters and all of us so close in age you know you had to fight for your space yeah. <laughs> you had yeah. to be good at telling your stories do, uh, you, do you think that maybe a part of that was obviously you know you know every uprooting and moving somewhere else and then having that i suppose that no, obviously you, you all integrated very well. I know this because I spoke to your sisters about this. But maybe there was an element of it taking a huge prevalent part in your lives, your life in particular. Yeah, I think that's the, a, the escapism I, element. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's a really interesting question, and it's interesting to talk about this having, having just gone back, you know, thirty years later. Um, I I think there is when you have that thing of moving around i think it gives you the opportunity to observe you you know you have you have you're, you're a certain you're an outsider to a certain extent mm -hmm. and so i think it allows you to um observe and create a narrative around that and i think you know we were lucky because we had each other but we were able then in some ways you create your own even family mythology about that you know <laughs> um about who you are and what defines you and what makes you. And I think you're also able then, you know, to look at a, a, a culture in a different way, but also in an international school, you're able to look at all the different people and 
what made them and what formed them. And I think it absolutely does just trigger a certain part of your brain that makes you interested in uh, what are the stories that make us us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, when then were the were your first was your first kind of light bulb moment that could I actually work in it? Yeah. Well, that was the interesting thing. I mean, it had always just been something that I was you know um from a spectator point of view i was really interested in it yeah. i loved it but i didn't have any sense of how on earth you went about mm. making mm. a career out of that so mm. i did i did an arts degree i did history and politics as my primary degree i then did a masters in women's studies i then did a hdip and at the same time i was doing um kings inn i was uh, I, I was that at that stage I thought what I wanted to be was a barrister. Right. Um and it was I just got the opportunity and it was just through people I met socially. Yeah. And I had a f- full time job while I was still doing um King's Inn. And So I, that would be doing the exams, is it? Or how does that work? So the H so so the, the King's Inn you you do at uh, night. So you, you when you're doing what's the equivalent of a law degree, you do right. four nights a week. Okay. Uh, so I was working full time and doing four nights a week uh-huh. there. Um, and uh, somebody last minute said they needed somebody to do, you know, production assistant on a short film. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> That's what my dad said. Uh oh. <laughs> it was Damien O'Donnell's short film, mm. Chronoprambulator. That will tell you it wasn't today, yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. And I handed in my notice that day. And I literally had a week's work for being paid peanuts. But I just was like, this is my chance. This is my chance just to get into it and to do something. And I'm just going to go for it. Um, And I can remember I didn't, I knew nothing. I can remember trying to do up the progress reports (laughs) at the end of the day. And it was like, you know, the short ends where you're supposed to do how much of the films left or all of these things. I I, I knew nothing. I knew none of the language. I'd never used an Apple computer before. I had to go outside and ring actually Mary Kate going, how do you turn it on? She's like, just press the big <laughs> Apple button. I like, I knew nothing. Um, yeah. But I winged my uh, way through that. And, you know, as does happen in the Irish film industry, you know, it was two weeks after that I was offered a job as director's assistant on a film called The Last September uh, for Deborah Warner and that was like you know the full 12 week shoot and the prep and I, that was my first experience of set life when I'd been doing my week my whole week mm-hmm. of film before that I'd just been sitting in an office yeah. uh, and after that that was it I wasn't going to be doing anything else <laughs> I just was like I didn't know what I wanted to do I didn't right. have any sense of producing yeah. or what that was about but I just knew mm-hmm. I wanted to be a part of this industry mm-hmm. but it w- you were kind of led into the producing. You, you never. Did you ever consider directing or that side of things? So uh, uh, that's another interesting question. I think it's one of those things that you kind of, and I think the industry is, thankfully, very different now. But mm. I do think, at that stage, as a young woman in the industry, at that stage, you, you didn't have the audacity to think that that was something you could do. Wow. Mm. I think you, you, you certainly thought. You know, I'm I'm a good facilitator. Mm. I'm a good enabler. I'm you know I I can I'm I know I'm good at story. I know I have a good instinct for that. Mm. But 
literally, and even though that first job was for a woman, she mm. was an English woman and everyone was very scared of her. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 uh, it didn't cross my mind. Right. And I, and I think that's so interesting. I think if I had been, you know, 23, 24 now doing that, I think it would absolutely cross my mind. And I think yeah. that's a great thing to go, okay, in 20 years, that's what's changed. But um, no, my, uh, I, I think it, uh, it, my main thing was, uh, how can I support this? Mm. Would have would have been shame on society. Yeah, shame. yeah, yeah. Shame, boom. I could have been Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I could have been a contender. Yeah. Have, have you seen that change, kind of gradually drip, 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 or do you think it's been a real sea change just in the last couple of years? I I think that I think there has been a drip, 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 but mm. I think it was incredibly slow and. Mm you know, moving like treacle. And I think for something like that, I think there has to be an act of consciousness. Mm. And, and I would I would say that about myself as well. I mean, it was really at the time that all of this was being looked at and talked about and all the rest, I was going, I've never produced a film directed by a woman. Right. I've never produced a film written by a woman at that time, right. you know, and and it was something that, and I would have gone, well, of course, I'm not actively precluding women. That's yeah. just how the kind of rhythm of uh, my work has gone. And you realise, yeah, but that's not good enough. Mm. Actually, you have to not be precluding women. You have to be including women because, you know, I know that there's all of these really talented voices out there, and it was, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a wake up call for me as well. And you know, it is something now we have many, many projects uh, now um, with, and and it's amazing projects and interesting and vibrant and different and all of that um, with uh, a lot of the moment mostly women writers. Mm. I will put my hand up to say. Um, you're actively looking to engage with female talent. Yeah, actively. Well, the industry the, du- the director thing, I think, is still is mm. still interesting. Um, yeah. You know, we have a TV series um, coming up, and 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 there's great women directors out there. I think a lot of them are are doing their own work, are kind of more autorial, and I think that's great. Mm. And there are other ones, you know, the ones that are kind of interested in doing other work. I think are busy and all of that. But when you go. Right, I'd love to have an Irish woman directing um, this project. There's more options, but they're still not quite, yeah. you know, the the, the same, mm-hmm. the same level of opportunities there. I would say. Yeah, yeah, the depth in the bench, <laughs> as they yeah. say in yeah, football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but maybe in another five years. Well, I, that's the thing. I absolutely believe in another five years. I think, I think they're all there. It's great even now just watching the kind of shorts programs and all of those things. And I yeah. think there is a generation of women now who do feel entitled, who yeah. don't ask the same question of going, yeah. God, I couldn't do that. How could I do that? I think, you know, um, have uh, belief in their voice and have agency to actually bring them to that place. And I think it's really exciting and I delight in it I think it's fantastic Mm. what was the first project where you were the producer 
the first your show. Uh, uh, this is this is this is an interesting one. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to not all get teary. But my <laughs> first one. So I had been development manager in the film board for four years, okay. where I had been selecting the projects that got developed, and it was really at that point in time that I got my taste of going. I, I really want to see projects to to yeah. um, the next level. Still knew very little about producing per se but I knew that those uh, skills would come to me so I had left the film board and I got a TV project that had there was a idea there had been a treatment that Conor McPherson had written that I came across that had never gone anywhere and it was about it was a kind of political comedy drama and I thought this is great and and I bought it to TG Cahir because I just thought, you know, at that stage it was very, very difficult to get anything into RTE mm. and I had no con uh, connections there. Uh, and that became The Running Mate. Um, and the, we got new writers on it. Connor uh, had generously given us the rights to the treatment, but we got other writers on and um, got the finance together for that. And all of it, the first time you're doing it, it's so exciting. It was like the first round of BAI and... Yeah. We got um, support from them. I can remember the letter of that coming through, like, Yahoo! And <laughs> uh, doing all the point one applications and all of that. And we went down to Dingle en masse. Um, and it was to start, I think, it was a six-week shoot. And it, first day, day one, I can remember getting up at, you know, six in the morning, you're seeing all the trucks coming in, all the <sighs> cine electric trucks in the middle of Ding the Dingle Peninsula. And um, right down on uh, the very uh, tip of the Dingle Peninsula out there, we're on a beach and waiting around. And of course, you're just like, why does it take so long for the cameras to actually get going? <laughs> um, I finally went and I had texted my dad to say, we're rolling. Uh, and half an hour later, Paddy and Rob, who were the execs on it, came and said, Rebecca, um, we have to go and look at this location. Will you come with us? And I was like, what's going on? Because there was no phone coverage on the beach. Yeah. They took me up to a car park where it was high up outside um, the hotel there. I forget what was going out. And they said, you have to ring your sister. I was like, what? And I remember my sister. He said, dad has died. He dropped dead oh, that morning. Oh, no, no. That was the last text that had come through on his phone. So it was like really, you know, after, because all of that had, you know, I felt my whole experience of film and storytelling and all of that had come from that. Yeah. So that was, that shadowed that experience. Oh, right. But, you know, it went on. It was the first TG Cahir drama then that won the uh, Best Drama series. Yeah. It wasn't Irish language. It had just won yeah. um, Best Drama series. And it was a hugely... Uh, Satisfying, but also really <laughs> bittersweet experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because oh. it was like that first week when you're so involved in it all, and then it was going back up to the funeral and then coming back down, wow. going, Yeah, what do you yeah. do? And my family were all coming up and down, and we yeah. spent a long time crying around various restaurants yeah, and, yeah, yeah. in Dingle. But it was, you know, at the same time, it felt, you know, I'm doing you, this for dad as yeah, well. Yeah, and I've yeah. just got to that point where it's actually happening, mm. and yeah. so you know, I'm at least he had got to point where he had seen all of that yeah, and you could see that it was so happening yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so that was great but that was that was my first production that was me by myself <laughs> producing it it was terrifying uh, <laughs> and and really grappled but what was interesting about that it was um Kathleen Dore had been the uh, production manager on that who we use whenever we can get our hands on her because she's absolutely fantastic yeah. but um I think 
because I knew so little, uh, in a way, we created our own model that was kind of outside of... Your own pipeline or workflow, I guess. Well, it was, yeah. it was just like, we were like, why do we need facility vehicles? There's all of these holiday homes. Why not just dress everybody here? And let's yeah. just make a pier. And let's just walk around. And it was all the stuff that wasn't really done that much. Mm. That people just go, this is how it's done. You do. But, right. But, and we were like, well, no, that doesn't really work for us here. And, and So you could be more efficient. I think so. And it and save some money, I'd say, as well. It's it certainly, and that was the main reason. It was like, yeah, we're paying all this money for things. Yeah. And of course, that model doesn't work everywhere. You know, mm. the facility vehicles and all of those are absolutely critical in other places. But it worked there, and it just yeah. gave you a certain freedom of being able to go, yeah, okay, you know, uh, you can just be imaginative about how you make this work. Yeah. But it was still terrifying. But it, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, but it, it was it was a it was a great series, and it was a really satisfying experience. Mm. And um, and and it gave me just the confidence mm. uh, because it was a great success. It gave me the confidence to go, oh, okay, yeah. maybe I'm not totally winging it. Yeah. Does it ever go away? Uh, that uh, now maybe this not this may not be the case in your circumstances, but um, a common kind of theme that comes up is one of um, people feel as if they have imposter syndrome in this game. It's like. You know, nobody really feels as if they should be doing it and they're winging it right till the end. <laughs> I don't know. Is there a bit of that going on yeah, or I'm not finding sure it your ever way? completely goes away. I mean, I, I think you, t you do get to a point where you realise, and that's what everybody thinks, mm. <laughs> so that, you know, the times where you feel like you're winging it. I, I think certainly the more you do it, the more you kind of get to the point of thinking there's not necessarily a right answer you just yeah. ev every project you need to find a model that works for it and for the director's way of working and for you know the various different creative uh, people involved in their way of working and mm -hmm. I th I suppose the only mantra that you know I feel that you can keep come back to I mean we always have long conversations with the writers and directors before getting involved in any project to make sure we all are making the same project mm -hmm. because there's nothing worse than if you're kind of pulling in different ways um, and and once you do that and it's a kind of article of faith and, and trust in each other um, if you just it's like a Hippocratic oath or something but if you get to the point of going the project is what comes first yeah. mm -hmm. no matter what it's not you know, of, and of course the director is a critical part of that but always being able to go as long as I'm making the decisions that put the well-being of the project in, in a kind of... that That's where the primacy of any decision lies. Then my my feeling is you can't go wrong. Yeah. yeah. Saying that, I've probably gone wrong loads of times. That's how I, that's where I comfort myself. You can't get it right myself. all the time. But that no. kind of everybody pulling in the right direction and a decisiveness. It's like if you, wrong or right, you're right. And, 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 you know, it certainly once you come to an actual shoot... And the shoot is always, you know, from, from my thing, it's like, it's a necessary evil. And it can be amazing. But like so much of the project is made, obviously, during the development period in the script and then in the prep. And then the shoot, you just have to head down and get through. It's so, so expensive and there's so much money. And, and, and you just have to expect that the experience of being in a shoot is, it's troubleshooting from beginning of the day to the it's end of the day. It's putting out fires, isn't it? Really? It is. And, and... 
you you know initially you know when you first experience those things you're like everything's going wrong and <laughs> but I think if you get to the point of going no that's that's just what it is yeah, that's yeah. you know it's it's it, it's always going to be like that and you should never expect any different than it's going to be like that and it's frazzling and it kind of you know um but but you do get then into a rhythm of going and it'll work out. Yeah. You have forgotten the thing that's keeping you up all night and that you're gnawing your fist over at the moment. Next week, you'll still be gnawing your fist, <laughs> but it'll be over something completely different. Yeah, just ride the wave, I guess. And you just have to, ri- and you just have to ride the wave. We had, um, we had John Butler on oh, uh, John. a while ago, and he mentioned on one of his first big shoots, he was on set the first day, and he mentioned about... It would have been the stag. I, I think it would have been the stag, yeah. But well, where he was going, how do I get out of here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know... Um, which leads me to my next question. Um, well, for people that don't know, um, he felt like walking off set the first day because he was so anxious about everything going wrong because a few setups weren't working the way he wanted to and lights and all sorts of stuff. And he was up a ladder at the time looking over the branch of a tree. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) And he was like, the hardest thing I'd have to do is get down off the ladder and go and say, right, I'm going home. So... Which leads me nicely to, segues nicely to, uh, how would, when problem solving like that, um, how would you, uh, like in terms of mindfulness and stuff, how would you deal with scenarios like that when it becomes overwhelming sometimes, which it does for everybody? People assume that if people are, you know, doing relatively well or perceived as doing really well, that, uh, you know, it's all plain sailing and, you know. No, uh, and, 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 you know, I think... And and you know the the other way in which we work and and how, uh, which is again another one of our mantras is, we do projects that we love and so something like the stag which was you know a ridiculous proposition in <laughs> some ways it really was yeah, yeah. it yeah. was like we had so little money I mean I mean so little money like you know under half a million, um, we had you know these actors who were going to be you know naked in November in the forest talk about facilities we had like an easy up was the only thing we had to put them in with a super ser- heater oh god the toilets were the trees I mean we had we had we had and they were they were so game I'm eternally grateful to each and every one of them because they just really committed but that was again it was just you know we had been working with John we had done your bad self we so believed in him and obviously as we still do and you know but it was always when you were trying to finance these comedies and it's execution dependent and well we like the script but so we had just got to the (laughs) point when Peter MacDonald and him gave us the script we just said Okay, we're going to make it. We're just going to make it. We're going to make it before the end of the year and whatever money we can scrape together and we're going to do it. Um, and so, you know, it was, again, it was just <laughs> hang on tight and just somehow or another, uh, another make this all happen. But in terms of that thing of, you know, riding the wave and how exhausting it gets in terms of the decisions and all of that, I have to say I'm extremely lucky because since uh, The Running Mate every project I've done has been with Rob Walpole um, and he's also my partner partner as well as my um, uh, work uh, producing partner and 
that makes I I sometimes I really don't know how people do it on their own yeah. right. because yeah. there is there are points in time and he will do it to me or I will do it to him of just going I can't I can't <laughs> I'm out. Like, yeah. It's like single but moms. But it's that support. <laughs> it's like single moms or something like that. But there's literally, and, and that can be during production. It can be yeah. in the middle of a, you know, contract negotiation. It can be anything. It's mm. just times you go, I, 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 I'm done. I can't. Will you take over? <laughs> yes. That's for me. Uh, yeah, day after luck, bye. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, even if it's just, if you could just even take this one phone call that I'm just, I've built up and for whatever reason, yeah, I'm I'll just... Yeah, I'll be halfway down a bottle of gin <laughs> yeah. if you want me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had we had Nellie Conroy on yeah. last week, um, uh, you know, from a dynasty of actors, Irish actors. Uh, similarly, you know, you, you guys are, uh, you know, a dynasty of uh, filmmakers and, uh, and writers. How important is it to have a support family structure who know ex- more or less exactly what you're dealing with? I mean, yeah, it, it it's really lucky. I mean, it's interesting in a way because there can sometimes be, you know, when when, when we're together socially that somebody's going, oh, tell me all about, and I just have to go, N- no. Right, yeah, yeah. No, I just I, no, yeah. that can't talk shop, you know. Yeah. It's just like that kind of busman's holiday thing. But, and, and mm-hmm. it, it, you know, at times it's contrary because it's, sometimes you can go, ooh, nobody's asked me about it. <laughs> <laughs> and other times people asking you, don't ask me about that because, yeah. you know, there's a certain amount of kind of stress or whatever built up yeah. around it. But no, it does. And, and really, I think the most interesting part of that, I was actually, I was just going to him, play the other night there uh the roaring banshees which is terrific i loved it uh that's uh down in smuck alley but like i was talking to rachel on my way in and then she knew i was early for the play and then oh are you still there have you started i've got a great idea uh, for a tv series so i did it and it was actually a terrific yeah. idea i'm not going to say it now because somebody'll <laughs> steal it um <laughs> but <not> <laughs> but um you know that kind of thing is a real buzz that you know just having people it's that they understand what it's about in the lifestyle, but I think it's more just people to bounce ideas off. I used to say about Rachel, she certainly even through the running mate and the initial pro- projects I did, she's my Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> I can't make any decisions <laughs> without Rachel being... Yeah, uh, yeah, we've worked it, with her before, she's incredible. Oh, she's yeah. great. Yeah. And yeah. it's just her so attention warm. to detail. And, you know, when she cares about story and her mind just works in a, in a certain way that it's just... Um, uh, you know, it that's great. It's mm. great to have that of people that you know are a hundred percent on your side. And Mary too, when like Mary can, and Mary's great at the kind of you know broad ideas. But kind of all my sisters are as well. Um, and you don't have favourites, obviously. I don't have favourites. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia, Catherine, Sarah haven't been mentioned. I haven't. <laughs> uh, but no, but it's it's really that that's that's amazing to have people that you know entirely have your back and you're able to go, what do you think of this? Yeah, and you get what you know is very solid uh, sounding board and chats back and forth about that and that's terrific <laughs> yeah um you mentioned so your time in the film board as well and that's quite interesting to have what kind of in- insights did you pick up from being you've been on both sides of applying for funding and you know those decisions i think a, a number of things really and i think it was it was a really valuable time First of all, just having the opportunity where you're literally reading hundreds of scripts. Mm. 
and whether they were good, bad or indifferent. It was just the process of going through that. And part of it was even just being able to hone your own taste mm -hmm. and what it was that, you know, you were drawn to in storytelling. And I think, you know, my the only conclusion, because I have worked across a number of different genres and all the rest, but that ultimately um, the stories that I'm interested in telling and that I, I'm interested in being a part of are the ones that put their faith in humanity. So, you know, mm. the kind of more, you know, nihilistic or... And I think there was amazing films there, but I think my own thing is... Your stories of hope. Yeah, I think there's enough of that shit in the world at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. personally, what I want to be a part of is the things that actually come out on the side of humanity and and that ultimately, you know, it come that there is a place of good in us that will that you know that we can lean into. Um, and so that was it was really helpful from that uh, point of view, from um, an editorial and storytelling point of view of really kind of honing skills around that. But the other thing that I think was really successful and I have to remind myself of all the time was just mm -hmm. <coughs> remembering that the people who are making those decisions it's not personal mm. they don't have an agenda yeah. that's you know and so often when you have something that you really believe in and it's not supported or it doesn't get through you of course it's just human nature that you go fucking hell man. would you agree that it's ostensibly your job to s in that role or whoever has that position now, it, ostensibly it's their job to say no. It is their job to say no. Well, to I the mean, point where they can't help but say yes if something comes in. Yeah, just because it's so competitive it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, the majority of stuff you are going to be saying no to and th and yeah. and that's just fact and there's limited resources there. And I mean, I think from that side, when you're talking about it from that point of view, I think, you know, all you have to come from a point of respect yeah. from anybody's work and the stuff that you come in that you might be going hello <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know written in, in gothic font yeah, for yeah. 90 pages and you know <laughs> size 60 and you're like what have yeah. you have you any tips uh, kind of damage I suppose damage limitational uh, tips for people who are submitting not necessarily for the film board but also for yourself uh, in terms of your own company treasure um what pitfalls are there out there that people? This can is avoid? the only way that I that that I that you know and young writers out there. Other people might completely you know, disagree with this, but you know I I think, um, I I think you just always have to go. Uh, what is this story about? Not what happens in this story, mm -hmm. and I think that's a really kind of critical thing because, you know, the the yarn or the shaggy dog story or this is what actually happened to me any of those things you know um and my friends have read it and think it's great uh, you know those things i think really being taking your um the craft of what storytelling is about and why do, why we tell stories and finding where your story sits. In. And I mean, I'm a big fan of comedy. I'm not saying that it needs to be profound, but I think comedy has to come from a place of truthfulness as well, I think, mm -hmm. or else it's not funny. Um, uh, and I also, I think, and other people might disagree with me on this, but I also think there's a thing of not overselling when you're going in. I think come from a place of real sincerity about why you think this story is important in the here and now and what you think it has to offer a, an audience and in a greater sense. But, you know, it's 
the hyperbole and those things, you know, it just, it's just like, well, you would say so. So I think you have to come from, you know, a quite steady point of making your uh, position and your pitch for the project. I think it needs to be, you know, sincere and truthful. But I think you have to also, you know, understand because if the idea is good enough, people will respond to it immediately themselves yeah. and go, oh. So absolutely know the why now. I think the why now is so important. Yeah. I mean, it's it's harder than ever. It's harder than ever to get your films into the cinema. Mm -hmm. It's it it's, and 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 you don't. We don't have to make them for the theaters. You know, there's so many other platforms. But the difficulty with independent films is if they're not in the theater, you sell them to Netflix and who knows what they are. And you know, how do you get any awareness there? Mm. But it's it's so much more um, difficult, and therefore how you engage this isn't this is a, an expensive art it's mm. not poetry it's not novel writing where you know the actual it doesn't cost a lot to actually create um the piece of art it's incredibly expensive and so from that point of view you have to go what is it and who am i selling it to and why do i think that there are people who are going to pay for this outside of my own friend group <laughs> yeah, yeah. sort of your own family yeah although that would be quite a good market <laughs> do well bestseller in your house yeah. um how do you how do you deal with rejection in life everybody... <laughs> well <laughs> that's, an, that's professionally another i can deal with it fine <laughs> yeah. because yeah. everybody um, gets uh, it's, it's a common question that pops up here yeah it's it, it's it's never easy uh, i mean it really isn't and I think what you need to do is feel that pain and disappointment and acknowledge it. Acknowledge that it is a blow because, and that that is because you care about something and you love it and you're invested in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I think feel it and process it and acknowledge why. And then you just have to go deep breath and put it and put it aside and I think you then just have to do a kind of Maoist self-criticism of going okay well it comes back to the thing of going it's not personal and people don't have an agenda and all of that if there's a reason that why this hasn't got through then it's something that we are doing wrong um, or we haven't identified what it is that people have kind of invested in and all of that so um, it really it, it I don't think it ever gets easier you know it it, it is and, you know, around the decision-making time, you're still, you know, mm -hmm. sweaty-palmed. And, and I mean, of course, it's not even... It, there's the project, but it also <laughs> has an effect on your livelihood and all the rest. And, you know, you're working in a business where you can only ever plan really 12 months, 18 months ahead. And yeah. so each of those decisions, certainly when it comes to a production point of view, is critical. But I think I have become better just myself in processing it because you know you can expend so much energy s stomping and raging and you yeah, know yeah. Uh, about that and, and and i've done it and of course and as have loads of people because you because when you care that's how you, that's how you feel and um but at the same time i think you do get to a point of going I'll, I'll allow myself an amount of that but then i'm going to have to conserve my energy for just coming back better i think it's or, you know, you can call one of your sisters. Or I can call one of my we, sisters. We're, we're actually, it's a great time to announce that we're actually setting up the O'Flanagan hotline. Now <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> the Benevolent Fund. <laughs> for, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> for down and out filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you touched on a little bit there. Maybe talk about the philosophy of the company and how it's grown and how you've grown and where you're going. I think you kind of touched on it there. I think the clue is in the title. It's uh, Treasure Entertainment. It's not Treasure Productions. It's you know. So maybe just talk about your the what you're going for. Yeah, uh, I mean it's been an interesting thing because you know we do. Uh, like most companies, you know, once a year we'll go away and we'll do a kind of, you know, trying to look at the bigger picture of looking at the company and where it stands and where it's going. And, you know, we would have for a, a long period of time, we would have been kind of known for comedy and mm. we would feel ourselves and we, and we love comedy, but, you know, that we're open to other genres. Um, And that was, you know, where we came back to the idea of just story 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 that's you know um what we're really interested in and as i said before that idea of also trying to put something with kind of some hope note out, out into the, into the world in some ways but what has been i suppose the interesting thing over the last couple of years we were almost almost exclusively um film uh, up until recently um and had you know we had we had done well on the model of making films for a certain number and then selling them out the other side in a way that um had really worked for us um was it a conscious choice to try to get into that market streaming kind of serve streaming and Netflix and that and, and, and kind of build inroads to try and do that on a bigger scale down the line um i think uh, what our conscious decision was was there was a point where we were like, if we make these films well enough and we have good relationships with the festivals that that we can get into, if we have the the platform of a good festival, we will sell. And and and, and it was our ambition would always have been to sell theatrically and you know, to whether that's, you know, you know, on a small indie release or, you know, uh, on on something a bit wider, great, but we had, had always had the ambition that we would sell to the distributor that would give it some kind of a theatrical life. Mm -hmm. It's not what it was, though, is it, though? I mean, in terms of theatrical distribution. Now. No. Um, and with everything, you know... I would say even in the last 12, 18 months, it's... Um, you know, it, uh, people had said, oh, of course, when once the Netflix came in and people can stay at home and watch stuff, which is, of course, true. Um, and, you know, I, that's where I consume a lot of stuff myself. You know, I'm not I'm not against it, but I do understand that that's very hard for an independent film because, it, as I said before, if you don't have the theatrical platform, how does anybody even find it on um on Netflix, but it's... It, it, You're never going to give up on the big event. No. The big event of it all. Why is it? We just have such romance about the idea, don't we? Well, we have per capita, we've one of the highest cinema attendances in Europe, you yeah. know, in this country. We forget that. Um, and people love the cinema here. They love it. And there's also just nothing like going into a packed cinema and seeing your film, you mm -hmm. know, having that collective experience of while you're watching the people watching it and of mm. seeing it up there uh, you know it does add a whole other dimension mm. and it's it kind of the film has its own personality every time you know a different personality every time you watch it with the theatrical audience but um yeah it's it's but it's harder mm. um uh, than it ever was and we're like most people we're doing a lot more tv um 
Here's a, a toast to bankruptcy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Could no, you I'm talk kidding. a little bit about just Papi Chulo, kind of the the idea behind how you made that film? So it's an Irish film, Irish crew, but it's if you watched it, you wouldn't necessarily know that. Hopefully, um, you know. I wonder would we have, uh, and this isn't just to get on the film, but I wonder would we have done Papi Chulo if we hadn't done Viva? Because, you know, mm. Viva was another film that we had done that, again, we like a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like, we went around, we had been selling, trying to finance that film for so long, but it was like a Spanish film, Cuban story in Cuba with an Irish writer and an Irish director, and people were like, huh? mm, good <laughs> luck with that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and that was another one that we had said, okay, well, look, we have, we can, we know we can get this amount of finance together. Let's go out to Cuba and explore and see whether this is possible. And mm-hmm. and it was. Well, if it was easy, everybody would be doing exactly. it. Exactly. We kept trying to find out what else we can do there because it was an amazing, amazing experience. Just you know, you're back to where you don't have internet or mobile phones and stuff like that. So you have the core heats. It was just like the end of every day. People we would just shout up. Now was it in the jungle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was great. Yeah. It was like, um, but again, doing those things gives you a real kind of a, a taste and uh, an appetite, I should say, to do kind of those kind of things that seem like a conundrum of how you can get it made. Mm. So um, having done that, and obviously, you know, we've worked with John a lot and loved uh, Papi Cura, and we've spent a lot of time in LA with John and you know, knew that he had a very special relationship with that place. So then it was just a thing of going, okay, well, we know what we need to do is just find the right partners um, and we'll be able to, we'll be able to find a model. Mm. And it's interesting because mm. the first few people that we met and, you know, line producers, stuff like that, like, you know, you know, no, that can't be done, and not with that cast. And no, no, you, you, you know, right. you need three times as much money and all of that. But like, we were like, no, we can. Why not? You can. Why you not? Can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know what it actually costs to do a film of this kind, and mm. and again, it's just it's focus on your union. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, and and I and I believe in the unions but I feel like as well if you're making a film of a of a smaller scale as long as you are compliant with yeah, the kind of union rules kind of uh, no teamsters there it's great the actors drive themselves to work in the states it's amazing yeah John mentioned that I couldn't believe it amazing yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they they buy everyone lunch on one of the days or something did Matt Bomer do that no Matt Bomer brought his own lunch every day but that's it that's oh, just really? because he's a very healthy oh, okay. disciplined okay. person and yeah. our potatoes with cheese may not coffee have truck or something in it. Or maybe something, something like, like that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there was those things, yeah, where he would, uh, he was such a, so generous and, right. you know, just, yeah, he did do those things of buying, yeah. bringing in coffee trucks and stuff like that. He was great. Um, but, you know, that was, again, we had done the same with Viva where we had bought, brought over, like, DOP designer, mm. that, and we did the same in LA, and it's just creates a really special experience you know Carl Water is someone who has been to Ethiopia Havana Los Angeles uh, yeah. as well as all around Ireland with us so you know it 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 means that you do as corny as it sounds you do have your own little family there mm. that you know will go over and above mm. and really put their all into it and you know John is just he, John is an amazing leader he's a, he, he's he's a super talented director but he also just has 
uh, that skill of personality that really gets people on side. Mm -hmm. And again, we knew that going to do that project. We knew that, you know, if we have the right people and once you've got John in the room to meet them, they would all want to do their very best for him. And, you know, you can't say that about all directors, but John certainly has it, and it's invaluable. Yeah, he's like the baseball field in Field of Dreams, isn't he? Yeah. Just everybody just gravitates Yeah, they go, oh. <laughs> And they want, to do their, they want to please him, right, and they want yeah, to do yeah. their best for him, and because they they love him. He's yeah, well, just some of the best directors are incredible motivators. Yeah, in, in, yeah. You know? He has a good thousand yard stare as well that <laughs> turn you to stone. <laughs> Especially from a, from a height on a ladder in the forest. Yeah, yeah, in the forest <laughs> when you're throwing cold leaves on uh, your group of actors. No, but so, you know, I think when when you are looking at a proposition like Papa Jewel or something like that, you're really looking at, you know, what are the resources? What's the team that we can bring to it? Because, you know, of course, the finance is critical and what, what you can pay and, and, and what you can actually achieve in that period of time. But, you know, you also have to know, and that comes critically from the director down, that the people who uh, are involved in it are along for the ride. And in Papature, they really were. And that's from the actors, you know, and to all the crew and all of that. So it, it, was, a, it was a really happy experience. Yeah. You know, it was but also akin to going to war. What it sounds akin like. to going to <laughs> war. It was. I mean, again, you know, again, I as I said that I I can think back of many of the fist gnawing moments. That, and 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 there were many. But it was also you're making a movie in Hollywood. I mean, yeah. you kind of also N- have to go. Nobody's stopping us. Nobody's <laughs> stopping us. And yeah. Literally, What's you're going. Yeah. Are we allowed to be here? <laughs> yeah. And you have to smell the roses for those moments. Yeah. You know, in terms of you have to just try to put the day to day stress aside and go we're making a movie in LA and this is a life dream and we're doing it and that's great Um, Mm -hmm. and so yeah those are the really special moments that can get lost in the stress and the kind of chaos of it all and every now and again you just have to pinch yourself and go oh no we're actually doing this and And be present and enjoy it yeah yeah Um, absolutely one last question have you one no you go for it what tips or what piece of advice would you give to young you starting on this? You've got this. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, the young me, and I think to anybody coming up, I, I, I would say the critical factors is know what you want, what you want your voice to be. Know, know what you want to represent in the industry and what you want to be there for. And the other uh, thing, and, you know, this may be even more critically, is it's absolutely a relationship industry. And, you know, you need to find your tribe. You need to find the people whose voices you believe in. And you have to work really, really hard to earn their trust and continue to keep their trust and respect. And you need to work incredibly um you have to work really hard for them, but you have to work in a way that is honest and respectful and all of that because you 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 can't fuck people over in this kind of industry where and it's and it's small and people are and it's people are putting their hearts and souls into it and they're and um you know it's it's exposing to a lot of the people who are actually the ones whose voices are front and present. And so you have to work, I think, really hard to um, protect 
and respect that. And I think mm-hmm. also the you know the old adage of you know you know mind your manners. Are, yeah, mind your manners. <laughs> because the people who are at the bottom now, you know, mm-hmm. you you you'll meet you know. The, the agents, yeah, the assistants, yeah, yeah. you know, to 20 years ago, you know, yeah, yeah. are now the people who, uh, so so across all strata, that's the same as, you know, on set and on crew, you have to take care of um, every last person. And if you do that, I mean, hopefully, I think we work with the same people over and over again. But for the most part, I think that the, the crews and the talent that we work with do come back again. And I hope that's because you know we do work really hard to um you know respect and look after all of them and i think mm-hmm. you know certainly from a producing point of view i think that's it is a, a huge part of it a huge part of it of having people going i want to work with you mm-hmm. uh well that's a great way place to leave it we could chat here all day but uh we have to <laughs> go, so well thank you very much thank you so much Cheers. thank you yeah, thanks for your time that's great thank you Lovely. Thank you. You're very welcome. Oh, that was fun. <laughs>